Well, you know, I was uh, thinking about talking to uh, my friend Dan Baumas. That name might ring a bell. Uh, he was on the John and Dan show a long time ago. He played the Dan part on the John and Dan show. He didn't play the John part. A lot of people used to think that uh, Dan played the John part and John played the Dan part just to confuse the hell out of everybody, but that wasn't the case. No, it was Dan Baumas and John Carter. John and Dan, the Dawn Patrol. They were the hottest radio show in Salt Lake City in the uh, in the uh, 80s, into the 90s. Um, they were, and they were better than any of the others, too. They were better than... Well, I shouldn't... See, I shouldn't now. Well, I shouldn't say they're better than Fisher and Todd because I'm now related by marriage to Todd. So, did you? Dan is still sitting here while we're doing the intro to the show. Did you? Did you know that, Dan? I'm related by marriage to Todd Collard. Well, it, things do get complicated, you know, the, the yeah. tangled webs. Yeah. I mean, Utah, we're all related anyway. See, I'm married to Aaron's sister. Ah, that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, and so, but Fisher and Todd were really hot, and uh, uh, but they did a different kind of show. John and Dan did the edgy show, and, and I'm, I remember I used to get really angry about Fisher and Todd too. Fisher and Todd, Fisher and Todd, everybody you know, talking about Fisher and Todd. What the, what? And then there was the Cano and Simmons radio show. <sighs> God, those guys were scum. They were just awful. I hated those guys. There was Richard Cano, big old Richard Cano. Oh. And then there was uh, Ken Simmons. Ken? That was his first name, wasn't it? Mr. Simmons, uh, Ken Simmons, he, uh, he had a little problem with uh, <laughs> uh, exposing, himself, exposing himself to kids in a, in a uh, Walmart or something. Yeah, that show was... So, but, so John and Dan, they were the big show. It's true. He, that's what broke that show up. Uh, my, my son is sitting over here laughing at me, but that's that's true. That's what broke that show up. Um, uh, Ken well, Simmons was Rich Cano after that. Yeah. And, uh, you, you, I you, happen to like the guy. You so. like him, <laughs> yeah. uh, Mr. Cano was never very nice to me. I met him a couple of times. He was not a not a pleasant pleasant guy. This is supposed to be the intro. Oh, this the intro. To Dan Baumas episode. Uh, oh, well, forty five minutes okay. now. Are you talking about uh, this, other radio shows okay. that he wasn't on? Well, this is this is the intro to the uh, uh, Let's Go Eat show where we talk to Dan Baumas, yeah, a radio legend. Uh, he doesn't do radio anymore, a fact uh, uh, that he's very happy about, as I think you'll hear coming up in the show. Uh, he's just sitting here finishing his burger uh, here at 50 West, where we recorded uh, the, uh, the, cl- the cafe at 50 West, where we recorded the Let's Go Eat show. So let's take it away with radio legend and now uh, PR flack. <laughs> he's a flack. I don't I wonder where that term came from. Flack. Do you know? Dan probably knows. Isn't it the exploding or anti-artillery or anti-aircraft fire? Yeah, you know, and it's to, all around. The, you try to intercept it. The, and, yes, uh-huh, that your job is to uh, perhaps keep the message from getting through. Yeah, keep the flack from get, getting uh, too bad. I like to think that I'm I'm the one delivering the message, but yeah, that's a different story. Uh, so he's helping with the intro. The longest intro we've ever done. It's okay. It's the Let's Go Eat show right now. Take it away. Board and uh-huh. all of that. And okay. Are we, we're rolling? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, the, the Let's Go Eat show, Dan Baumas. Dan Baumas, that's a name that... Uh, that's a name that uh, has recently disappeared from the broadcast landscape and... Uh, I'm not sure the world is any poorer for it. 
I, no, I don't think that's a, that's true. But you know, it's it's weird. I thought that you, uh, when we uh, struck up a, a relationship here about six months ago or so, or whenever it was, I knew you had gone to work for the Utah Foundation. But I thought you were still at KUER because the guy who was on there, who never says his name on the weekends, which is mainly when I listen, sounds exactly like you. I, I have a story to tell you about that, too, as a matter of Please fact. Please do. Uh, it's uh, uh, Dwight Wolfork, who's been around radio for as long as you and I have, which is a very long time in this town. I, I know the names kind of vaguely. Well, uh he fills or he's the host on the weekends. Yeah. And my mother, when she was living in a nursing home in Bountiful in the last years of her life, um, used to call me and ask me why I was working on Saturday because she heard DW on the air. And uh, uh, now my mother is blind, uh, so if she couldn't tell the difference between uh, DW and I, he's African American and I'm not. And uh, But we sound very much alike, and which is to my credit, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it, uh, you, he, it's it's amazing. He he sounds just like you. And my mother couldn't tell us apart. So uh, so I can be forgiven. Okay, uh, Dan Baumus, Dan Baumus, uh, legendary radio man in this town because of the John and Dan show, of course, and all those many many years ago, the Dawn Patrol, nineteen seventy nine is when I came to Salt Lake. You came to Salt Lake City from where? From Farmington, New Mexico. Why? Um, job offer. <laughs> uh, so you had started your radio career in Farmington, in, New Mexico? Well, in Provo, actually, where I grew up. But, okay, uh, you grew up in Provo, went to Provo High School? We went to Orem High School. Uh, so you were a caveman? Uh, no, a tiger. A tiger. Yes. Well, who was the caveman? Oh, that's... Um, American Fork. American Fork. Mm-hmm. And the Provo uh, is the Bulldogs. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, gone to uh, BYU and... Uh, uh, served a mission for the LDS Church in South Korea, and then when I came back, uh, got back into school and took a job in uh, Farmington, New Mexico, and uh, from there came up to Salt Lake. Now, did you uh, you went to BYU to study what? Uh, broadcast. Brought you this is that's what you wanted to do. It's really strange that uh, you know I worked in radio news for forty years and. That was my major in college, if you can believe that. I yeah, worked in the field I trained in. You wanted to be a, a radio. Specifically, radio and/or TV news guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that uh, was pretty much. It was that or be a mortician. What, what, seriously? <laughs> seriously? Why? Going to go to trade school and be a mortician? I just thought it was interesting, and it was the way to uh, make you know good middle class money. But back then, all the mortuaries were family owned, mm-hmm. and unless you were part of the family, you didn't get in. Now they're all corporate or corporate owned, and uh, so. It's still not the easiest business to get into. Uh, does pay well, though. You know, it's it's funny. I can see you as a mortician. I it's it, it might have suited you. Well, I'd certainly be uh, uh, more prosperous if I had. Well, uh, you um, so so you get your first broadcast job out of school uh, in Farmington, New Mexico. Your first professional job. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you, uh, you worked on the radio at BYU, though? At KBYU, yeah. Uh, what, was, what was that like? Well, it was kind of interesting. It's just when uh, National Public Radio was getting going. Before they had uh, Morning Edition. The Should only be in the 70s? Uh, yeah, 1977, 78. Mm-hmm. And um, they had All Things Considered. 
which was their flagship show, still is. And we would uh, listen to that and uh, pull sound bites from the national NPR show, write scripts around them, and then present them on the air with you know their actuality material. And that was you know something we were licensed to do. It was uh, legitimate, but that's the way we approached it back then so that we didn't have to air the whole three-hour program. Um, we just uh, put parts of it in our local newscast there. That's really a good way to learn how to do write news and present news. Well, sure. Sure. And, uh, um, you know, radio is, is kind of the direction that I went after that. And uh, um, then, you know, a couple of years into Salt Lake, I uh, hooked up with uh, John Carter by virtue of, you know, us being laid off last, I think. Uh, <laughs> We'll get to John Carter. I want to talk, I talk a little bit more about Farmington, New Mexico. I want to talk about your mission, too, a little oh. bit. Uh, mission for the LDS Church. Uh, you grew up in a, in a strong Mormon family? Mm-hmm. And yes, I did. And, uh, um, it was assumed that you would go on a mission. You wanted to go on a mission. Right. And, uh, well, at BYU, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, you're steeped in that environment and uh, they used to put the general conference sessions on the big screen in the Marriott Center, the basketball arena. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting down on the front row during one of those where a general authority's head came up on this screen. It's 40 feet high. Mm-hmm. And he said, every young man should go on a mission. I'm sitting there in the front row going, every young man should go. And, and so I went. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and... Uh uh, you went to uh, uh, South Korea mm-hmm. and uh, learned to speak. Uh, well, yeah, but Ichiburioseo, I've forgotten it all. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, you can do a little bit. A little bit. Did, did you ever eat dog in Korea? No. But they did. But they there, did. There's a place where you can go to, to get some, and uh, somehow or other, I just never got around to doing that. Yeah. Uh, did you enjoy that time? Sure, I did. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was uh, a good thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I felt, uh, you know, personally conflicted about some of the things that uh, I was there teaching, and uh, I don't think I'm the first person to ever have a uh, an issue with uh, the specific teachings of religion as a missionary. I think mm-hmm. that's fairly common. Uh, well, how, how do you mean? I, I'm here trying to convince people of something that I'm not quite sure of myself. Well, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but you know, I came home, got married <laughs> uh, right away. I, yes, uh, within a year after I got home, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and then know, did we, you- we raised a, a family, three kids, and uh, my first wife and I were together for seventeen years. After that, uh, now did, when you came home, did you go back to school? And then yes, yeah. And so you were married in school, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you get your first job in broadcasting and move your family. To Farmington, New Mexico. Well, and the, we had no children at that time, but just you and your wife. We came back to Salt Lake, and uh, um, we were about to have our first daughter. And uh, I was commuting down to Provo twice a day, trying to finish up my degree. Mm-hmm. And I was—I had become the news director at KRSP by that time. Oh, and so it—it um, it was a fair amount of pressure, but uh, you know, got through that and, and seemed to do. Uh, reasonably well, and and uh, was in an organization that that was pretty good for me for a long time. Who now? Now I want to get the chronology right. Your first, though, your first job was in Farmington. Well, my first job was in Provo. In Provo, yeah. Then Farmington, uh-huh. 
Uh, and how long were you in Farmington, New Mexico? Only a few months, actually. Yeah, that, that's not a that's not a very big place. No, it's uh, you know oil industry town. Everything's oil, and uh, um, th- this was in '79 when, uh, uh, just at the time of the Iranian Revolution, oil prices were going through the roof, and mm-hmm. it was uh, kind of a boom time mm-hmm. there. But uh, I had the opportunity to come back to Salt Lake and, and jumped at it. Uh, and so that's KRSP. Right. And that's where now. So you're the news director there mm-hmm. for how long? Well, uh, because the other two people who worked in the news department got laid off, I was the news director there for about nine years. Uh, who, so who, who did you work with there? Uh, Scott Seeger, who's now at KSL. Right. And uh, Linda Galindo, who has a very successful business yeah. consulting firm, yeah. uh, they worked with us in the news department there. And, uh, and then who were some of the jocks that were passing through at that time oh. that, are, that are still around that you remember? Well, uh, Randy Rose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, who else was there at the time? I mean, Paul St. John, if you remember the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Alan Haig was the uh, program director. Um, so the, it was the the Carlson Group mm-hmm. um, that was working there, and and so the, now is this where you meet John Carter? Yes, uh huh. He got assigned to do the morning show in 1980. 1980. 1980. Mm-hmm. So so you and uh, uh, you were the news guy in the morning, and uh, John was the morning show host. That's correct, and uh, uh, he and I. Um, I don't think you hit it off. I mean, all that well because I'm completely uncool. I'm a, you know, geek, nerd, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And, uh, but eventually I started um, supplying him with uh, some humor that he found useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, so, now, when did the show become the Dawn Patrol? Um, How did that happen? That really happened after uh, 1984. Um, I went to KSL for a little while. And you left KS- KRSP. Uh, left KRSP and was working the overnight shift at uh, uh, KSL. And uh, um, so one day, John and uh, another guy from the station, Steve Carlson, and I went water skiing. And they took us out in the middle of East Canyon Reservoir. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really no good at water skiing, but there I was in, floating there in a vest. Mm-hmm. And they pulled the boat away, maybe 100 yards. I, I had no rope. I was out in the middle of the lake. And they said, we'll come get you if you come back to work for KRSP. <laughs> uh, well, at that point, I you know, was agreeable. So You had no contract with KSL? Uh, no, yeah. no, it, which disappointed Doug Muller, who was the news director at the time. No. Uh, Doug's another great guy. I enjoyed working with him. Um, uh, go ahead, and uh, I'll ask a long question, and you, you oh. work on your hamburger there. Okay. Um, now, it's interesting to me because I um, I started working in radio in Ogden in 1980. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, it was November of 1979. But I always say 1980, because why not? And uh, I remember... My first, and I really knew nothing much about radio. I'd been away for a while. I'd been living in New York, and 
and uh, what I remembered of radio in in Salt Lake was from a from a much earlier era. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my early radio heroes were, uh, um, you know, Jolie doing the news, and and uh, the, uh, the first DJ that really left a big impression on me was Michael G. Cavanaugh. Uh-huh. You know, who I still see from time to time around town. Mm-hmm. I loved Michael G. Cavanaugh. He was just well, and know. Doug Wright, um, mm-hmm. Dan Jessup, yeah, Lynn Lehman. These guys are uh, Lynn Lehman is still around, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I think so. Lynn Lehman still, and Lynn Lehman made a tremendous amount of money in radio and then in te- in television later on. I believe he did very well for himself. Um, so these are the people that I remembered from my, you know, when I was a young person, young man, a kid. Then I come back to uh, Utah and ac- just kind of accidentally start in radio in 1980. I didn't know much about radio, but and I didn't. I had no intention of staying in radio. It was just kind of a stop stopping point. I was kind of going to go back to New York uh-huh. and uh, be an actor. But I I started to enjoy being in radio, and I was I started out. They kind of pegged me as a news guy for some reason, so I was doing news up in Ogden and doing radio, and uh, and the morning show guy there in Ogden kind of a similar thing uh he was a he was a funny talented guy but he said to me hey you know you're pretty why don't you be on the morning show with me and you could be in some sketches and stuff with me as well as do the news and so i started doing that and enjoying that because my background was in acting really not in news although i quickly came to find out that really being an, a, a good newsman also had a lot to do with being a good actor if you could, if you could be a good actor as a newsman, you could just kind of bullshit your way through anything. And storytelling, you, know, you could yeah, you could tell a good story. You could tell if you can write a little bit and tell a good story. You can be a pretty good newsman, don't you think? Well, sure. There's always that part of making sure that what you say happened actually did happen. Yeah, but then if you can present it in an entertaining way, you're ahead of the game. Well, yeah, and um, you know, in the the world of rock and roll, the uh, Issues involved in, uh, um, you know, the, the you weren't in the same, uh, I'd have to say, ethical universe as yeah. um, somebody in a, a CBS newsroom or something mm-hmm. like that. And right. so um, I uh, uh, was, I think, uh, a little bit sensitive to criticism back then that uh, I wasn't a pure and holy journalist. Were you? Um and uh, over the years, I, you know, kind of evolved in that area. But then, mm-hmm. you know, when I got into public radio, I had a chance to uh, not be the rock and roll guy mm-hmm. <laughs> for a little while. Did, did, did you, you, did, you think you did lighten up about being not a, a pure, serious journalist in those days? Um, because yeah, I didn't I ever care. I didn't care. I mean, I, well, tried to, I tried to present things accurately but i also tried to be entertaining and i didn't if people said you're not a real newsman i'd say you're right i'm not well but you used full disclosure with the world's most biased newscast yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, I tried to pretend somehow that i was uh uh you know a little more objective although um i'm not sure for the people who were listening back then uh whether they found that to be 
reassuring or not, but I, I pretty much played it straight the whole time. I think when certainly I certainly on the air when I heard you do the news, you always did the news very straight. Uh, and but then you, but then you would also do character stuff and and participate a little in bit of character ske- stuff, ske- sketches and stuff. Yeah. Uh, he did most of the character voices. Yeah, and uh, that was fine with me. But uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I even wrote a poem about it. Do you, do you have that committed to memory? When friends come to your house for supper in the very far land of Tibet, a fashionable snack is the meat of the yak. It's rarely a cause for regret, unless, of course, you have to kill it. For killing a yak is a sin. In Buddhist belief, it will bring you to grief. It's bad karma if you do one in. Now, when journalists gather for supper, it's commercials they love to attack. See, for newsmen to sell is as worthy of hell as for Buddhists to murder a yak. As they load up their plates with yak burgers, they condemn the poor yak killer's sins. Yes, my hands may be red and the poor yak is dead, but the blood's dripping off of your chins. Dan, that's that's lovely. That's brilliant. Do you do things like that much? Well, that's, you know, just how I resolve my cognitive dissonance. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right. um, uh, let me go back. I'll, I'm gonna, I'll just get, I'll ramble a little bit more so you can eat some more of your food. Yeah, there. okay. Um, so my, my, my point of bringing up that con- concurrence of time there was that I became aware of what radio was in Salt Lake City um, in maybe 1984 or 5, and I'd been doing radio now for five years or four years, and thinking, oh, this isn't such a bad gig after all. Maybe I'll just keep doing it. Uh, it's more steady pay, although not big pay, but it's steady pay, b- better than being an actor. And uh, I seem to be able to do it kind of okay, although nobody knew much about what I was doing because it was a little radio station in Ogden. Nobody was very aware of what I was doing. Uh, and then I became aware that there were some pretty popular uh, morning shows in Salt Lake. There was... Fisher and Todd, mm-hmm. and John and Dan. And uh, you guys, those, you guys were big, a big deal by that time, by 83 or 84, I think, weren't you? Uh, yeah, we were uh, putting together a pretty decent audience then, and uh, um, I think in part it was because the idea of the team morning show was kind of new to Salt Lake back then. and uh, Well, it was good, too, though. I mean, it was funny. It was local and it was topical. Yeah. That made a lot of difference. Yeah. There were... I remember there were people who would come in periodically, mostly on, uh, I think, KCPX, who would come in and try and take on the John and Dan, Fisher and Todd monopoly. And uh, there was... Uh, you know, Ugly Jerry and uh, Straight Arrow, right? People like that, and they would come in from outside of the area to, to school us on how it's done. Yeah, they were they were the big guys who would come in and try and show you how it's done, like and in like in syndication, like they were. No, well, no, these were local. They uh, they were guys who would be hired from outside to come in and say before you could just switch on Bob and Tom and yeah. and you okay. know wipe us out. Yeah, and. Um, They'd be come in from bigger markets usually, right. and say we're going to come in, 
Who were some of the others? Do you remember? Uh, oh. Those are the two that I remember. No, the only guys I remember that came in and schooled us on how it's done is uh, you, but that's... Well, <laughs> oh, I was... Uh, I want to ask, before you get too far, I want to ask about kind of radio competition. And John and Dan and um, Bob and uh, Todd, Fisher and Todd, mm-hmm. were the two kind of big shows. Like, do you re- don't how forget Cono and Simmons on KKAT. Yeah, they were there. They were there. So they're, yeah. Was that a, I mean, was that a fierce rivalry? Like, did you, did you hate uh, Fisher and Todd? And, like, was that... Or no, was it really? I, not? I don't think I hated anybody. I certainly felt the pressure when they did well. Uh, you know, if they had an up book and we had a down book, um, uh, there was always some concern among our managers as well as uh, among ourselves. Yeah. Um, but did John and Dan usually won the books, right? Yeah, and that that became more consistent after we moved across town in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting story too. Well, I, I have a little inside story on that that maybe we'll get to, but that you might know. But anyway, um, so you, so I, I became aware of you guys when I and I it and it made. Let I'll, I'll tell you, you guys, John and Dan specifically, made me decide that I could do radio because I was listening to your show one time, or and I thought, well, I can do that. I can do that. And uh, just put that in my mind and said, I can do that, and I think I could beat it. And I don't know what gave me that kind of hubris, but I thought to myself, I can beat that. I, but we didn't even have a signal to do it, you know? Not but, until you got on uh, 96. Yeah. That's, that's when it happened. Mm-hmm. The signal matters. It does. It does. You can have all the talent in the world, but if nobody can hear it, that's the thing. But I, uh, I remember thinking I can, I, can, uh, I, I can do that. And then the highest compliment anybody ever paid me was John Carter. I was going on vacation with my family one time a few years later, and uh, we had started on X96, and it was Dom Casual and Bill Allred on... X96, and we were start that at that time. Then we were starting to make some noise, and because the signal was being heard, and I happened where I was going on vacation with my family, and I was driving to the airport, and I turned on the radio, and I was listening to John and Dan, and I think by that time you'd moved across the street, and um, and I heard you say something about Dom Casual and uh, Bill Allred. I I don't like those guys very much, and. Uh, and John Carter said, oh, Dom Casual's okay. But that Bill Allred, he's a dick. <laughs> and, I, and at first I went, and my whole family's in the car, you know. And, I, and, I, and at first I went, hey, that's a... And then I stopped and I thought, that's a real compliment. I've told John this story, too, and he said, I, I don't really remember that. But, but Well, over the years, I mean, the, the, the way radio... Um, interact, stations get sold. You know, you and John wind up working under the same roof in the same shop mm-hmm. over at Simmons Broadcasting yep. for a number of years. Yep. Uh, you know, you got to be um, uh, at least civil to people or you might wind up, uh, you know, in the room next door. Yeah. We, be- we, we became quite friendly after that. It didn't matter in the long run. You know. It didn't. There's like this weird radio thing of, 
um, kind of I don't care if people hate me as long as they're listening or or if I get if I get angry letters that's a good thing because that means people are noticing me. You oh come on, we all have fragile egos and we want yeah. everybody to love us. Sorry, but, but it's what true. other job? What other job would that be a good like? If you're a nurse and you're <laughs> getting angry letters from <laughs> patients. Yeah. That's that's not like oh well at least I have patients that see me that's not a good thing only in radio and television it's, it's is that. how it's how you soothe your hurt feelings oh though, sure is you say well at least they're listening right no but uh, you know you're not going to please everybody it's uh, an entertainment business and uh, um, you know so you go through and uh, people proclaim their favorites it's as meaningless as a high school rivalry you mm-hmm. know. Sure. Uh, but uh, then, you know, years go by and suddenly you find yourself sitting eating lunch with, uh, you know, the guy that you were working to beat <laughs> yeah. 25 years it, ago. It's, it's bizarre. What is so, um, so when you were riding high, John and Dan, uh, I, uh, we had a mutual friend, and I, I won't mention her name, but you might know who I mean. She worked for us for a while uh, in the early days of X96, and um, she... Um, she had worked for you guys as well. And uh, she said to me, um, uh, you know, Dan um, writes an awful lot of those sketches that uh, John and Dan do. And I, I, that kind of surprised me. I had no idea. Was that the case? It was always a collaborative process. Okay. Uh, but um, John and I would work together uh, most mornings and come up with that day's show. Um, and uh, that's one reason it, it stayed so topical is because we did it the day of. And John's production skills were such that he could take that into the studio and execute that before we went on the air. Uh, and uh, But it was, yes, I contributed a lot, but it was always, always collaborative. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was a typical, um, so you're KRSP and, uh, you're, and then you moved over to... Um, to Z93. Z93. What was a typical uh, day like for you? What, how, when did you guys start? Uh, started about 4 in the morning and uh, got in, uh, looked at uh, the paper, looked at you know what, what had been going on, had been watching the news and say, what are we going to talk about today? And uh, uh, then sat down, came up with a script, and uh, then I went off to prepare newscasts, and John went off to do... Um, you know, these audio production mm-hmm. things using technology that is like, you know, bearskins and stone knives. Razor blades. And, yeah, tape. razor blades, four-track tape recorders and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, do-it-yourself sound effects sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then we hit the air at uh, 6 o'clock and off we went. Um, and then you, would you just do three hours? Um. Early on, we did actually four hours and uh, six days a week. Oh, did you do a did you do a four hour show on Saturday? Uh, no, we, yeah, we did. We did a four hour show on Saturday. That's one of the things that we uh, um, yeah, grew we, out of when we moved across town. Yeah, we used to do a we used to do a Saturday show as well. But it seems to me we would do like nine to noon or something like that instead of six to ten. No, this was six to ten. We did six to ten on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and to remind people of some of the um, some of the sketches that John and Dan and the Dawn Patrol oh, well, used to do. We did a parody of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. We did mm-hmm. um, a little boy character named Timmy. Little Timmy. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a parody of Paul Harvey. Um, what was that? 
what was Paul that? Harvester. Oh, yeah, Paul Harvester. And, um, you know, that was back when, I mean, you have to be of a certain age to even know who Paul Harvey is. Yeah. Um, now, and uh, various other things. Um, the Bible Brothers? Yeah. Billy Jack and Buford Pickett from the First Church of the Whited Sepulchre in Coffee Springs, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's about the only character voice that I did. I would shout hallelujah in the background. <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, um, and, uh, um, you know, we kept on doing that until um, 1996 or 1995 when um, the broadcaster that we worked for wanted a country station. And they decided that they would give up their classic rock station to go country. And so we uh, uh, were shown the door. A few months later, they we were invited back in to do a, a country morning show, which we did for another year and a half before uh, things finally wrapped up. Well, now, now, well, hmm, I'm trying to figure out. I don't quite get that chronology. You went from KRSP to Z93. Mm-hmm. That was you were not fired. No, we were um, uh, hired away. Yeah, you that so. How to talk about that? You 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 were under contract. We were under contract to KZ or to uh, KRSP. We uh, um, offered to as our contract required to stay off the air for. A specified period of time. And There's a no-compete clause in most broadcast right. contracts where you have to stay off for six months. Or well, this wasn't six months. It was four. But in it, we offered terms. Okay, we'll say, we'll do this. And they decided that um, they were going to sue us anyway. So we went to court. Why, why would they say... So, so you just said at the end of the contract, we're, we're done. We don't want to... Because you knew that you had another deal. Right. Right. And... Uh, we uh, went to court um, after five days of excruciating testimony. Um, the judge sat everybody down and said, you guys settle this. So we did, and um, that was kind of the, uh, the end of that. But it was, it was an intense summer. Well, I, I, what, was the, what was the reasoning behind Well, I may, Maybe you don't know, but... I mean, the reasoning behind, you said, okay, our contract is at an end. We don't want to work for you anymore, and we will sit out the four months. Well, we're going to sue you anyway. What, uh, how is that possible? Vindictive behavior? Because they can. Um, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on other people's yeah. motives. All I know is that I got served with a piece of paper that had my name and one followed by six zeros on it. And, oh, uh, <laughs> Jesus. Did that did that scare you or just make you angry? Uh, yes, both. But, you know, um, I've since made my peace with uh, the folks who are behind that, too. So there's no point in holding a grudge. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I would never make my peace with those people. Well, anyway, we, we went on to have a, um, a pretty successful run at Z93. Yeah, how long did that go? Well, 1989 through 1995, and uh, we had pretty good promotional support, um, and uh, I think uh, uh, management was interested in turning that radio station profitable, and and they did that. Talk about how how important that is 
to a morning show or to any show in radio, but promotional support, again, you have to have a, a talented show. Mm. You have to have a good signal to broadcast that show on. But then you have to have a management that's willing to put something behind it to support it promotionally. And it's impossible to do without that. Yeah. Um, we had some uh, pretty good promotions directors. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of one poor guy who we did a, a stunt where people won the right to jump into a hot tub full of green jello mm-hmm. and uh, retrieve a set of car keys from the bottom. Yeah. And uh, this guy wound up getting busted for dumping the gel into the Salt Lake City sewer oh, system. <laughs> well, that's uh, sort of good publicity, too. Yes, yes, but he took the fall for the rest of us, I'm mm-hmm. afraid, on that. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, the, the, you know what I remember very clearly was the, the ad campaign uh, talking about you guys moving across the street. Where's John and Dan? Uh, and our good old friend Theron Reed was in that mm-hmm. commercial. Uh, the, the late Theron Reed. Yes, the late Theron Reed was in that uh, commercial. But where's John and Dan? Where's John and Dan? It was a great t- television campaign for for you guys moving across the street and because Z93 was willing to spend the money. And, uh, yeah, Sam Prigg uh, uh, directed that. And uh, uh, it was it was pretty cool and great that uh, we had that promotional support. But a few years later... Um, they were impatient with uh, the fact that they didn't have a country station in Salt Lake, and so, so that's what there goes Z ninety three. That's that's all. You were still performing well, right? Yes, but it wasn't quite the glory days that yeah. it had been. There mean, were we were still strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that time, we had started to cut into things. This uh, is true. Uh, X96 and uh, radio from hell in the morning had started to cut into things. Uh, uh, was Fisher, Todd, and Aaron at that time, I think, by then? Right. Probably, and, and they were doing pretty well. Uh, that was a, that was a, that trio was quite, quite strong, actually. When they added Aaron to that show, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a strong, good move. Um, but all through those years, all those years that I was working in, in you know, rock and roll radio... I was a listener to and supporter of public radio. And I'd get out, uh, uh, walk out of the radio station, and punch the button on KUER or uh, KCPW. Mm-hmm. And wish, and kind of wish. Kind of, gee, if only, gee, shucks, Galdern. But you know you were probably, and I don't know what the salaries were like back then, uh, but you were probably making more money than those guys. Oh, well, certainly, yeah. And when I did go to work, for public radio, the salary was um, about a third of what we made in my best year yeah. in commercial radio. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's okay. I, I got to do it and uh, uh, jumped at the chance when that finally came up and uh, uh, did that for 12 years at KUER. Were you there that long? Yeah. That's, that's terrific. That, that's a, that is a storied broadcast career. Uh, Dan Baumas, let me ask you this. Uh, so you worked with John Carter for how many years? Uh, about 16. Um, did you guys socialize at all outside of the... Uh, Some, yeah. Really? Yeah, well, I can't say that we were close. Uh, do you see him ever now? He's still working over at, what, what KRSP, I guess. Yeah, I have, I've seen him only rarely mm-hmm. recently. And you're friendly. Um, we're, yeah, we're pals on Facebook, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, John's got uh, a wonderful young family that um, uh, he's, uh, you know, very proud of. Started and, a, started another family at, a, at, a, at an, a, a late age, as I did. Well, and uh, I just recently got married again myself. So. Congratulations, by Thank the way. You. Just got back from a honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, it, it's uh, sorry to say that this is someone who listened to the John and Dan show when she was in high school. Well, well, double congratulations then. Well, thank you. I mean, she's not that much younger than me. But But it's still, yeah. Uh, You know, it's it's interesting, though. uh, You know, people ask uh, me if if Carrie and I, uh, you know, socialize and party and stuff outside the race. And and we never do. We almost, unless it's a, uh, I think maybe we get together socially once a year. Uh, around Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, and then sometimes we'll every once in a while we'll go to a, a radio, um, you know, convention or something like that, and we'll socialize there. But we're not pals. We don't, you know, we don't buddy around, and people are really surprised at that. But I think it kind of keeps the show better if your personal lives are not intertwined. Mm-hmm. Well, and and my set of interests and in John's are. A little different. He's a diehard steelhead fisherman. Likes to go that's fishing. What, that's what he lives for. Up and, on uh, the snake. And uh, and uh, I'm interested in other things. I uh, became uh, a Buddhist practitioner mm-hmm. over the years, and uh, I've been, you know, followed that uh, pretty closely. Um, and. Uh, not that I'm claiming any virtue, by the way. That's just something that I found personally um, helpful and, uh, you know, helps to explain the suffering in the world. <laughs> um, and uh, some other things that, you know, I'm very interested, of course, in uh, politics and uh, um, the community in general. And when you're in the news business, you can't really get involved in that too much. Yeah. Um can we talk about your, um, I don't even know you call it conversion, but your, your, your move toward Buddhism? And, um, because that interests me as well. Um, I went to Nepal and uh, uh, hiked up to the base camp of Mount Everest and, uh, beca- and was just absolutely astonished by what I saw there and, and found there and um, had my head shaved by a monk at a, a Buddhist temple. Surprised a lot of us, i got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it surprised me too. And this, this I'll, I can show you the pictures, but this piece of string was put around my neck by the uh, lama at the uh, monastery at Dengboshe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he blessed it and and blew on it and then sent me on my way. Well, <laughs> my uh, interest in Buddhism actually started while I was a missionary in South Korea, but um, I kind of kept it to myself for a long time. And after my first marriage broke up, it seemed like I didn't really need to keep it to myself any longer. Um, and uh, essentially, Buddha had the human condition figured out. Okay, It's not as though he has any mystical or cosmic influence. He was a person who got it. And, uh, you know, he outlined the the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, the 
the truth that there is suffering, and it's inevitable. And then the second noble truth, which uh, tells us why we suffer, which is that we believe the story that we tell about ourselves. Uh, we're attached to things that in the end we ultimately cannot have, uh, starting with we can't live forever. And uh, then the, the third noble truth is that there's a way out of that. And the fourth noble truth is the way out, the eightfold path. That is a teaching that's common to all traditions of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've found that, uh, that that second noble truth in particular is a useful antidote to feeling sorry for yourself. You know, I've had cancer now, been in treatment for about 13 years, a multiple myeloma, and it's easy to ask, why me? Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the Buddha kind of addressed that in uh, uh, the sermon that's called the Kosala Sutta, um, where he asks a rhetorical question, should we believe that that which is subject to illness and death will not get sick and die? You know, the sorry sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Maybe, maybe the answer is, well, why not you? Why not me? That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. And... Uh, now, which is not to say that I don't value my Mormon pioneer ancestry and my upbringing in the LDS church, and uh, I've uh, recently become an Episcopalian, which is really strange and may not... That's Catholic light. Well, that right? yeah, that's Catholic without the, the Pope's involvement. Yeah. Um, and uh, that has a lot to do with uh, really wonderful people and good friends that I've made in that church. It, that's the interesting thing to me about Buddhism is that uh, it it does not preclude that you be a member of any other religion either. Right. Uh, you, you, you find a lot of people who are of Jewish heritage also embrace Buddhism. Sure. Uh, and um, I think people have a real, uh, unless you're a serious student of it, people make a lot of mistakes about what it stands for. The term nirvana is so badly abused. Yeah. I mean, nirvana is thought to be, oh, I'm in, I'm in uh, smoothie nirvana when I go to Jamba Juice. Yeah. Um, Bliss of yes. some sort. But nirvana means that you've achieved a cessation of desire. You no longer want the things that are making you miserable. Yeah. You know, that's nirvana. Yeah. So how can you use that in an ad? I didn't understand the uh, concept of uh, reincarnation, really, and, and maybe I still don't, but to, I think I got it when I went uh, to Nepal. And, you know, people have the tendency to think of reincarnation as, oh, well, they can just do whatever they want because they'll just be reborn again. And uh, No, this is not a—being reincarnated is not, is not a good thing. I mean, you, you don't really want to come back as a, a dog or a, a cat or a Or a as bug another or a, miserable human being. Yeah, you, this is not something to be—this uh, is, this is not—I uh, mean, unfortunately, it will probably happen— but well, I, I don't think there's any need to believe in reincarnation for Buddhism to be a valid teaching either. I mean, hmm. Buddhism was built on top of a, a Hindu infrastructure. And, you know, in Tibet and in other places has absorbed um, the religions that it came in contact with. And so um, you can just as easily reject the idea of reincarnation as accept it and still have a fundamentally... Uh, solid Buddhist understanding. Oh, I see. 
Um, the other thing is uh, I noticed our uh, uh, Gelgen, our our, um, uh, our guide, uh, who is a Sherpa, and people misuse that term. They think everybody who carries your bags and things is a Sherpa. That's right. No, that's one specific ethnic group. Yeah, it's an ethnic group is a Sherpa. The, the people who carry your bags, they may be of the ethnic group Sherpas, but the, but people who carry your bags are porters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Gelgen was our guide and Sherpa. And I would see him like a, there'd be a spider and he would, you know, shoo it on its way and not kill it and uh, because of the this Buddhist reverence for life and I said well you know Gelgen we're we're walking up the path and you will undoubtedly step on insects and kill them and he said I, I can't control that I can't I don't I don't see them I I feel bad about that but I can't control that this I can control this insect I don't have to kill it uh, you know, people say, well, you kill millions of microbes that live on your skin. I can't, that's something I can't control. And uh, you know, there's there's a logical extent yeah. at which things become absurd. Yeah. And, he's, and I went, well, that certainly makes sense to me. You know, if you, act, if you accidentally step on a bug, that's, you're, you're not willfully committing an act of, of taking another creature's life. But if, if I can... Uh, you know, show demonstrate sufficient kindness to uh, help the people closest to me, my family and coworkers and uh, others in the community, feel as though I'm not uh, harming them. Then I've achieved something, okay. And whether or not the spider survives may be um, less important in my view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, now, do you do you practice Buddhism? Do you go to uh, the Buddhist temple here um, at all? I have. I've gone to some uh, groups that practice here. There's one that meets at the Interlight Center, mm-hmm. uh, the where I went for some time, and uh, um, others. I've you know studied at a monastery in California. Mm-hmm. Um, not to any great extent. Okay, I'm, I'm no expert mm-hmm. and I'm no teacher, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Yes, I have done some practice. And then uh, this Episcopalian thing. This uh, this is kind of uh, interesting. What is it? Be uh, is it have to something to do with your current wife? No, no. actually, you know, she's Catholic and sings in the choir at the mm-hmm. Holy Family Catholic Church of Ogden. And mm-hmm. um, no, this is uh, um, had to do with a a bad breakup, actually, <laughs> uh, where you're feeling pretty sorry for yourself and. Uh, you're looking for some place where you can stand up and say in public, forgive us our trespasses, you know, mm-hmm. and I felt some need of that and so started attending the Episcopalian Church in Centerville. Oh, oh. And right. uh, uh, then the first thing that happens when people are nice to you, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll come around more often. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, Dan Balmas... Um, uh, John and Dan, finally, uh, we'll go back to radio now. We've dwelt, <laughs> we've dwelt in the halls of religion uh, long yes. enough. Yes, well, uh, yeah, Namo Amida Butsu and all that for uh, you. Uh, uh, namaste. Yeah. Uh, so so we, <clears throat> we go, uh, John and Dan, finally, is, uh, it, it is no more. Uh, Z93 is done. Uh, you go... You're, so you're out of work for a while. Well, I actually went to an outfit. I got traded like a ball player. I was still under contract. Ah. And I got traded to a company called Metro Networks. Oh, that's I do, I do and, remember uh, this. I was there for four years. I was their 
News Bureau Chief and Director of Operations. And they were an outsource provider of radio news and traffic reports. Right. And so I would sit there at my desk in the morning, push one button on BNB 98.7, one button on KBR 101, one button on KFAN 1320. And I was doing uh, like, oh, 20 newscasts a day there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I was on September 11th. Um, And that day, we wound up doing news on radio stations that were not even affiliated with Metro Networks, weren't our clients, just because it seemed important. And so I was probably uh, uh, on 14 different radio stations that day doing news all through the day. Uh, And where did John go? John um, eventually wound up back at KRSB. He's uh, still there. He's still there uh, and uh, doing very well. get to listen to him now that I'm not on the radio in the morning myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so for Metro Networks, is that then you get uh, go to... Uh, from Metro public? Networks, uh, I went to Simmons Media and worked with you. You did? Yeah, for about six months until they decided I was the program director for uh, uh, what is now uh, The Zone, the 1280 sports mm-hmm. talk station. Yeah. Uh, back then, they were a news talk station, and when they switched to sports talk, they didn't need the news guy anymore. And I, I just, I have, I, I have no memory of them doing that. Oh. Way to pay attention, Dad. Well, yeah. you know, I just do, I do my thing. You know, I, uh, yeah, but you don't pay attention. Just a nice way of saying I don't pay attention. Well, I just, I, well, I only saw these guys when the alarm went off inside the building that yeah. said our AM station was off the air. So I had to run down into the equipment room and push some button to get us back on. <laughs> Where was this? Where was that studio? At Trolley Corners. No, I mean, your, where was the studio in the building? I it was in the back of the building, right? Yeah, the second floor. I was on the was up on the second yeah. floor. That's uh-huh. why we didn't see each other. Yeah, hardly at all. And then um, went from there to uh, um, KUER. And uh, and there you remained for twelve years, mm-hmm. uh, and that was great for you. Uh, well, I got to do some things that uh, uh, I hadn't been able to in the past. Um, may, may I just say that in my last year in, in radio, I uh, won the, the SPJ Award for Best Radio Reporter, along with uh, several others. And I, um, SPJ you know, is Society for Professional, Professional Journalists. Journalists. Yeah. yeah, and uh, felt like maybe that uh, redeemed me from my, <laughs> the sins of my rock and roll past. <laughs> uh, and uh, worked with a great team, uh, wonderful people. Uh, you know, Jenny Brundine, Terry Gilday, Tasha Cook, um, Bob Nelson, uh, Whitney Evans, uh, Andrea Smart, just a great bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, enjoyed doing that, but, uh, you know, time came around that I thought maybe it might be interesting to do something different, and that the opportunity at Utah Foundation came up uh, back in December, and I decided to go for it. So tell people what the Utah Foundation is and what you're doing now. Uh, I'm a PR guy, all right? My job is to get attention in the media and elsewhere for the wonderful work that's done by the researchers at Utah Foundation. It's a public policy research group. Venerable. It's been around for a long time. 70 years. And uh, we've been um, on the front page of the Salt Lake Tribune a couple of times in this past few weeks, Mm -hmm. which I enjoy seeing our work get that kind of coverage. Um, studying Utah's generational cohorts, the millennials versus boomers, and various things. We also published a report on 
uh, what Colorado is doing well in its public education system that Utah could learn from. We've done reports on Utah's tax burden, how it's the lowest it's been in 20 years. Uh, this is just since I've been there, mm-hmm. okay, the past six months or so. Um, I've done reports on driving safety in Utah. Uh, you know, no matter what, people yell and scream and object, but you're more likely to survive an accident if you're wearing a motorcycle helmet than if you're not. Yeah. On, on the back of a bike. Go figure. That's what the numbers say. Go figure. Pro- yeah. Probably in a car, too. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to always wear a motorcycle helmet. Yeah. Just, uh, on the, just walking on the street. Actually, I don't think we have data on that. But uh, <laughs> it, I work with an. A bunch of really talented people as well there. Steve Cruz has been the president of the Utah Foundation now for uh, about 17 years and has put together, I think, a, an organization that is really serving the community well. Now, the Utah Foundation would be uh, is funded by uh, businesses? Yes. Um, our big contributors include people like Rio Tinto, Intermount Healthcare, um, some other, uh, Zions Bank, also, uh, many smaller businesses, academics, uh, UVU, University of Utah, um, and uh, some other organizations, including the LDS Church Foundation. Hmm. What happens when uh, uh, it's essentially a think tank, I guess. Right. What happens when a think tank uh, is funded by a business and it uh, comes up with research that is not necessarily favorable to the businesses that fund it? Um, then you have a problem. You know, either if you're the business funding it, you decide that uh, your narrow business interests are too important to allow the publication, or you live with the facts and you put some confidence in the people who are doing the data gathering and publishing, and you stick with them, which is, in general, in fact, I can't think of an example where it hasn't occurred, what's happened with the Utah Foundation. And some of the businesses that... Uh, fund us are competitors. Their interests are not the same. And that kind of helps. It's great to have a broad funding base. Uh, Our board of directors has more than 50 people on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they set our research agenda um, and and we work for them and with them um, in choosing what it is that we'll report on. So so just to, so let's say you're doing a survey about the most fuel efficient cars and and um, one of the and I'm saying Subaru because there's one parked out there and Subaru is a funder of your organization and they're really hoping that Subaru is going to be on the top of the list and you published a list that says it's number 400 or whatever which because Subaru is a funder they would get to make the decision as to whether that's published or not um, no they probably no. wouldn't but Subaru then has a choice they can continue to fund us oh yeah or they can pull out uh, but. Uh, you know, we're non nonpartisan. We're uh, nonprofit. We're uh, independent, um, at least as far as somebody providing the majority of our funding. You know, it's like I say, a pretty broad, broad base. But it is, you know, was started by the business in 1945. The um, uh, business leaders in Salt Lake were worried as they could be that the prosperity of the war years was going to result in super high taxes once the war ended. And so they put together this group to study the tax picture. And that was the subject of our first research report. Um, What had happened to wartime incomes, what had happened to wages, uh, what the likelihood of uh, taxes would be. And the situation 
prior to and immediately after World War II were so dramatically different mm-hmm. that it needed that kind of a scholarly approach. And uh, so that was their point. That was their purpose in putting together the Utah Foundation. Yeah, it, and it, it really, to, to remain, uh, also to just elaborate on an answer to Dylan's question, to remain a respected organization w- with integrity, you would have to say, if Subaru said, you know, we give you a lot of money, you have to squash that report. If you ha- want to maintain your integrity as a group that people will pay attention to, you have to say, no, we, we won't. Your dis- it's your decision whether you continue to fund us or... Or, or drop out, but we won't squash the report. Well, to the credit of uh, our funders, even when their uh, public positions disagreed with a, a finding that we had in one of our reports, they've never told they've us. They've never done that. They've never pulled yeah. funding as far as I know. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully Subaru would just say, oh, okay, we'll work harder to yeah. well, rise up the sure. list next Well, time. And, and uh, they're welcome to publish whatever research they have to you know refute it disagree. refute it yeah we're but okay. we try not to be beholden to the interests of our funders that's my whole point right there uh you so you uh, and you're enjoying your time there at the utah foundation it's and, been really great yeah it's been it's something so very different from yeah. what i've done uh in the past and uh um it's also uh good that i don't have to be on the radio <laughs> Early in the morning. Um, well, yeah, that's 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 been good. And I was telling Dylan a moment ago that uh, uh, some of the drugs I'm taking have kind of done a number on my voice. So, um, you know, been in cancer treatment, like I said, for a while, and uh, back into that. And the the drugs don't help. Wait, yeah, you're, you sound good. What has it done to you? Just makes it hoarse. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, in a in a study up at the Huntsman Cancer Institute and. Uh, uh, the fact that I'm still here, uh, you know, going on 13 years after my diagnosis, indicates that they're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ari, yeah, well, so 13 years, uh, you, you have multiple myeloma, that is blood? Uh, yes, it's uh, bone marrow. Bone marrow. Cancer. And uh, uh, the, the cells that make antibodies in your bone marrow go uh, bad. And um, it's, it's associated with radiation exposure. Uh, so it's quite possible, though I haven't been able to prove it, that uh, I'm a downwinder, that I was exposed to radiation from nuclear weapons tests when I was a kid. In Provo. In Pro- Provo and in Kanab, where I spent my summers. Oh, oh, well, Kanab, that would be a highly likely, I well, would think. Yeah, uh, but again, not to the point where I can collect money from the government. So. No, no. Uh, and, uh, do, well... They don't give they don't give uh, prognosis on these things anymore, do they? Uh, well, they're managing myeloma more like a chronic disease anymore. Really? Yeah. So uh, you know, Scott Matheson got it, and uh, he was uh, gone within a few months. And he was a downwinder. And for he sure. was definitely a downwinder. And he um, didn't have the options that I've had. They do stem cell transplants now for, and I've had two of those for what? myeloma. Isn't that immoral? No, we're talking about hematopoietic. Blood aren't stem cells. Aren't these em- embryonic stem? What? No. What? No. No. no okay. They're just the stem cells that uh, result in all kinds of blood cells, like white and red and platelets. Mm-hmm. They uh, uh, they use those for that mm-hmm. procedure. But uh, um, they have a, a really strong myeloma program at, at Huntsman Cancer Hospital, and uh, I've benefited from mm-hmm. that. Um, so uh, Utah Foundation, new marriage. Uh, your children are all grown and uh, uh, gone. Are they all live around here? Or are they uh, gone? 
I have one who lives in L.A. He's a IBEW union electrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, one who just graduated from the business school at the U mm-hmm. and is working at the Impact Hub here oh, in yeah. Salt Lake, mm-hmm. trying to get business started with a couple of partners. I uh, have one who works for the Utah Attorney General's office, uh, who is also the mother of my 16-year-old grandson. Yeah. I was really mean to the Attorney General's office today. Oh. I well, you've had Sean Reyes on this show. I have. He was very good. I enjoyed him. But I just got so angry at them today on the air, I called them a bunch of sour buttholes. <laughs> for, for, they were so... What William they, Ulrich. What they did to that <laughs> lesbian couple, there was no reason to do that. That wanted to adopt the, the you know that that wanted the, not adopt lesbian couple put their put their names both their names are married put both of their names on the baby's birth certificate and the attorney general's office here in Utah tries to make a big deal out of it and say no you can't do it <laughs> Judge D Benson good Mormon graduate of BYU judge who was a, fortunately a good judge said to the attorney general's office there is. Absolutely no reason these two women should not have. Same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states. That, that, that's there established. Is, I mean, there that's... is no reason. They were yep. just being jerks. They were being buttholes. Sour buttholes. Sour buttholes. See, it's the sour that really yeah. <laughs> makes this a problem. Yeah. It yeah. was just, I hope that your son, I, I don't mean to include your son in that. Oh, yeah. No, I, not at all. No, and I'm sure your son was not one of them that was doing that. He was probably standing there saying, we shouldn't be doing this. Well, uh, no, I think, I think there's a lot, uh, uh, you know, that I'm just very pleased with and delighted with and uh, uh, excited about happening uh, in my life in the last year or so. And, uh, um, you know, I, uh, it, it was nice to kind of get away from that, you know, early morning radio gig that I've done almost every morning in my adult life. Uh, I love doing it. I did it for 40 years. I've done it since 1980, so how uh, many years that is. So, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm just glad to have something new that's very interesting to do and uh, um, new challenges, and, and uh, it's just, you know, fun to move on. Well, Dan, it's a, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, uh, I'm I'm glad that you seem to be so um, I, that you found the found a place that you really like to be. Well, thank you very much. It's great to it was great to bump into you here in the the restaurant the first time I came in. Yeah, uh, I didn't realize that. Uh, uh, well, I guess I did know that the the Broadway Media Studios were here, but I didn't really expect to see you just. Down the stairs from the studio. Here at 50 West, uh, the cafe here at 50 West, which is uh, owned by uh, Broadway Media. And we've had meetings here, too, for the Utah Foundation. Yeah, I know you've done at least one. Have you done more than one? No, here? no, but we had a luncheon here for oh. our uh, board members and others that uh, went very well. Very nice facility for doing that kind of thing. Uh, we're doing the What Do You Think Utah show in here now once a month. Dan's given us a lot of help with that. Uh, the Utah Foundation and Dan Balma's helping out with that. It's a terrific venue for that. And uh, just thank 50, uh, the club here at 50 West for uh, uh, letting us sit at a table here and talk to Dan Balma's. Um, uh, anything else you want to add? Just uh, 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 oh, Let me ask you one thing I meant to ask you. That poem that you did earlier oh, in the show yeah, yeah. was so good. Do you obviously have written other things. Have you ever published? 
or do would you? Oh, well, Signature Books turned me down, uh, but I don't think I had quite a sufficient collection. Uh, uh, you know, that was, that was a grumpy poem that I wrote after mm-hmm. a, a day when I felt disrespected one day, I guess. Um, but no, I, I, I've published a few. Uh, I, 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 one was in a, you know, like a newsletter for yeah. people who get uh, um, bereavement care. I, well, I wrote a poem about my late wife after she passed away and uh, got that published, and, uh, but very few others. You, I think you. I think you need to pursue that a little bit. Well, thank in, you. In all of your spare time, <laughs> because because I know because that was actually very very good. So uh, add that to your list of things to do. If you just get up every morning at like four a.m. and work yeah. on it, um, I think that'd, that'd be, be just good. like radio, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I guess maybe not. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Never do you, mind. Do you meditate, Dan? Uh, yes and no. In the Buddhist I, tradition. Yeah, in in the sense that I. Uh, you know, try to be mindful of uh, the circumstances and uh, be an observer of my own mental processes uh, to understand that, uh, you know, I'm not mad because of the circumstances. I'm mad because there's something in me that needs to be mad, and I'm just looking for an excuse. That's, yeah, that's, you know, and, that, and, that is the meditative process. In, in that sense, but to say that I sit cross-legged on the floor for six hours a day, no. No. Uh, Dan Baum, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope. Uh, oh, and thanks for lunch. I, I got to yeah, finish this. Sure. It's yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I, I got the backyard burger here. Oh, it's, it's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The French fries are good. They have yeah. they have great fry sauce here, yeah. and uh, Mill Creek coffee, the best. What more uh, do you need? No, not much more. Yeah. I think that's it for this edition of the Let's Go Eat Show. Uh, thanks to Dylan Allred for producing. Uh-huh. Um, it's really difficult to produce this show too. By the way, you set up the microphones and. Well, sometimes makes, I turn somebody up a little bit, yeah. and then yeah. sometimes. And then he moved my microphone. I, I I was trying to clear enough space between the mic and the burger. Yeah. you know, but <laughs> it's hard. We need uh, better microphones. Yeah. All right, that's it. Uh, the Let's Go Eat show. Oh, my phone's ringing. Uh, remember, uh, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. <laughs>